This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Seeks to be defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. First Kings chapter 19. But before we fully jump in there, we need to build a little context regarding what Elijah has sort of been through at this point. So Elijah is this lone prophet of God living in a time with a very evil regime. Um, if you start to think that times are worse now than they've ever been before, just flip open the Old Testament because it can help give you some perspective. Because the time Elijah lived in was rough. And if you know some of the stories, if you grew up going to Sunday school in a church basement, Elijah was a big topic there. You maybe remember that King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were the ones who ruled over the land at that time. And they are kind of the worst. First Kings 16 repeats twice that Ahab did more to anger the Lord God of Israel than anyone else who came before him. And then also in 1 Kings 16, it says, and it phrases it this way, if that wasn't enough, he married Jezebel. So she's supposedly worse than him. And they led the country to do what was evil. So God calls Elijah to resist the brutality and the violence and the darkness of the time. And just as kind of a quick flyby of the main events, God causes a drought to come upon the land and there is a famine. But he miraculously in that provides Elijah with food and water, first from uh, some ravens in this river and then from a widow whose food supply just continually replenishes. After the widow's son dies, God empowers Elijah to raise this young man from the dead. And then in maybe the best scene, there's this great confrontation on Mount Carmel uh, when I used to do kids ministry only. This was one of my favorite stories to do because it's wonderfully dramatic. God's example of power as Elijah stands alone against these 450 prophets of Baal and eventually, God causes fire to fall from heaven, displaying He is the most glorious, He is the most powerful. And then God has the 450 prophets killed for leading the people astray. Then at God's cue, the rain returns to the land. So God provided Elijah with food and water miraculously. He gave him power to raise the dead. He showed him his complete control over all of the elements of nature. He showed him his power over evil. He protected him when he was facing down 450 of his enemies. So Elijah, one would think, should be riding kind of high on all of this. He should be, after experiencing these things, have an unshakable confidence in God. Nothing, one would think, should be able to disorient Elijah. But let's see what follows Elijah experiencing firsthand God's provision and his power and his protection. So if you would go to 1 Kings 19, we are actually going to kind of work through this piece by piece today. So starting with the first three verses. 
Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. So right on the heels of Elijah experiencing God's protection and his provision and his power, hearing that this one woman wants him dead sends him into a complete tailspin. I think on the one hand, this may speak a little bit to how formidable Jezebel actually was. I have a little bit of a fascination with her just because of how she kind of pops on this backdrop and being a woman at that time and how just with her words, her threat, someone who should be unshakable kind of loses it. But still, still, considering how deadly it must have been to cross her, when we consider and remember what Elijah has just been through, not just what he's just seen God do, he's experienced the benefits of what God has done. He's terrified from this. I think anytime in scripture that one of God's people does something that's a little bit of a head scratcher, for me, that's always a good place to think, do I do this one too? Because it can be easy to judge Elijah a little bit here, but I definitely know that I can suffer from this same kind of short-term memory loss when it comes to connecting the dots between God's faithfulness in the past and how he is providing and I can trust him in the present in the future. You got me through that. You provided for me there. But this thing, this thing right now, I don't know. There's a reason that it is a rich theme in scripture that we would remember, that we remember and rehearse what God has done. The Israelites, we know, had many different rituals of remembrance built into their lives. The Psalms, the prophets are constantly calling back, taking account of what God has done. Remembering what God has done should really just be a part of our regular spiritual rhythms because that will directly inform how we move and how we trust God in our present. As God's people, part of our striving should just be to not forget, not forget what he has done. But like some of us, like me, Elijah here, he doesn't even take a beat. He immediately ran for his life. Fear completely overtook him. But was his fear only from Jezebel or is there something else going on as well? So let's go back to verse three. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough. Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. So Elijah flees to the wilderness, prays that he might die, 
and says, I've had enough. Lord, take my life. I'm no better than the others who came before me. So did Elijah just flee Jezebel out of fear? Or is it also that, yes, God has been with him. Yes, he's experienced his faithfulness. But y'all, he's been through a lot. He has had a lot required of him as gods in this landscape. He has had to carry the heaviness and the loneliness of leading and resisting. And even though God has been with him, he's had to give a lot. Afraid of Jezebel's threats, yes, but also had enough. Feel him when he says this. Worn down. He's been trying to live righteous and good and upright in a very troubling world. Worn down maybe from being a human just trying to carry this burden of trying to right what has been made wrong. I'm no better than my ancestors. This work you called me to doesn't seem to be working. (laughs) I'm trying so hard to be obedient to you. How come nothing is changing? It's the same as it has been. We know in the beginning, God created the world to be perfect, right? No disunity, no pain, no violence, no grief, no loss, no stress, no sickness. That was how he set it up for us. But in order for us to fully enjoy that rightly, he gives us autonomy. Man, did we botch that up. But for those that God, who by his incredible grace and kindness and mercy, helped us to see more clearly while we're still existing in the brokenness, that means that as gods, we are going to feel the fullness of the friction and the weight when things are not going the way of God's initial creation. That's why when things go wrong, it really messes with us. It kind of should. That's a sign that we are taking after God's heart. But that can be a heavy thing to hold, especially when we just can't shut off that part of us that wants it to be made right again. God provides, yes, what we need in the struggle. Spirit's powerful, thanks be to God. But this here reminds me that we are still humans in it. And there are times when we may feel like, I just don't know if I can keep doing this. The brokenness and what I see and feel in it, God, it's too much. It's feeling like a little too much today. And let me note that Elijah's expressing this before he has social media, before he has something in his pocket that helps him know all the tragedies in the world any moment. He still feels that way, even though he doesn't have that. God, it's too much been there for me, provided for me in it, yes, but today I want to cry, uncle. I, today I want to run alone into the wilderness and hide. Worn down, tired, bodies buckling under the stress. I've had enough. I want it to be done. Anyone else feeling Elijah? Just a little bit here. So let's go back to verse 5. He lay down and slept under the broom tree, and suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. 
So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. And he said, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. So Elijah says, I can't take it anymore, God. And God says, have you seriously just forgotten what I did for you? Are you kidding me? I was so obvious. How am I going to be able to keep using you if you doubt me? Elijah says, I can't take it anymore, God. And God says, first things first, you need a snack and you need a nap. I just feel like the angel pulls out the biblical equivalent of a kind bar or something. Can we take a moment to feel God's kindness here? I know you're a human. When you are in those moments forgetting or feeling like you're being crushed by the weight, God doesn't come in hot with rebuke here. In our humanity, he is not harsh when we hit that point. He is so kind. Yeah, we need to attend to what your body needs first. Because this spiritual, mental, emotional fog that has kind of descended on you, first step to kind of clearing that out is to attend to your physical needs. You need rest. You need some good sleep. Elijah gets a couple solid sleeps here before God even has him move on. He must have been exhausted. We need to deal with your blood sugar. You need to hydrate. The answer to his burnout and fatigue is not just in addressing the body, but note what God attends to first. God knows we are human and he gives grace for us to attend to the needs we have as humans. He prioritizes attending to it here. So can we remember to do that for ourselves, though? For me, that's the bigger problem. Sometimes I think we put more pressure on our own human capacity than God does. Or maybe the expectations from others make us feel like there's no room for error, so I can't show my humanity. But we can. He invites us to be able to do so. The magnitude of what you feel like you're holding right now as someone who's desiring for right to be made wrong in a space where so much is seeking to destroy, remember that you are a human being in it and you are intentionally created by God that way. Your humanity and its limits are God's design. So after recovering a little bit physically here, Elijah, after running away from something, now has the capacity to run toward something. And after 40 days, we see of traveling through the wilderness, he arrives at Horeb, which is Sinai. He goes to Sinai. He goes specifically to a place where God is known to provide his presence and answers. So this next step and kind of this overwhelming stress and fatigue, I'm going to intentionally seek a place where I can meet with God. So let's go back to verse 9. He entered a cave there and spent the night. Suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and he said, 
What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. So God starts with a question, as he tends to do. Jesus is so good about this. But why does God ask people questions that he already knows the answer to? And why does he do it so often? We have a creator that, while more powerful and holy than we could ever begin to fully wrap our minds around, also desires relationship with us, with little us. And so I think every time you see God asking a question to his children to engage with them, it really should remind us how loved we are. He wants us to engage with him, and he wants us to engage with him when we're struggling to trust him. When we're doubting, when we've lost a sense of our purpose and we're fixating on our fears in that state here, I want you to interact with me. I want you to tell me what you're feeling. I want you to process with me what kind of state you are in here. And so we see Elijah goes there because God wants him to just go there. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies. God, I have cared about what is of you. I have tried to be about the things that you are about. But the people have abandoned your covenant. I've tried, God, but it has not been fruitful. They've torn down your altars. They have actively destroyed what is of your presence, what's left. And they've killed everyone else who cares about the things I do, that cares about you. Y'all, this is deeply discouraging and disheartening what he has been through and seen. I am the only one left, and now they're coming for me. I've seen them be successful in murdering everyone else. Now, after all the labor, the obedience, the work, and the trying, they're coming for me now. Can you imagine how lonely Elijah felt? I feel for him here. Because we all understand different levels of what it is to feel alone. Some of us more than others. There are spaces, I think, at least, where all of us might feel a little extra alone. But I can't imagine this kind of loneliness. Yes, Elijah had God. And the comfort and the strength that God brings in loneliness is powerful. It's something to cling to. But God also designed us to be in good working relationships with other human beings. Elijah's designed for that also, and he has no one there in an entire nation. I think this part helps make even more sense as to why he had had enough. I'm alone. I'm it. It is challenging enough going through deep hardship with other people, but when you are completely by yourself, that's a different level of darkness. But here he is finally able to kind of come face to face with the reality of his concerns. And he's able to do that to God. 
there is really something to being able to honestly voice and give name to our fears and our concerns to God. This is what I'm actually struggling with. Do you ever take time to be very specific with him about what your struggles actually are? We can name honestly, always, the depths of our struggles to God. And he will never push us away. So let's see what God does next, starting in verse 11. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. So Elijah, after voicing to God the depths of his concern, his emotions, waits for God's presence. And here we have this series of manifestations. But God is only present in one. Can God be present in wind and in earthquakes? The earth shakes when he's with Moses on Sinai. When Korah and his family rebel, the earth opens up. The psalmist and the prophets use uh, wind imagery at times to talk about God's arrival on the scene. Amos likens the day of the Lord to an earthquake. Earth moves at the crucifixion. Wind comes at Pentecost. He does at times show up in the moving of the earth or the wind. Can God be present in fire? He's called a consuming fire. In Deuteronomy and Hebrews, he shows up to Moses in the burning bush. He leads the people out of slavery at night by fire. Fire covers the tabernacle when he's present. The spirit comes in tongues of fire. He does at times show up in that intense burning light. But here, God chooses this soft whisper of a voice. He meets his child in a way that his child needs to be met with in his current state. In tenderness, gentleness, this had to have felt so comforting for Elijah after what he's been through. Soft, close, right here. And in order to not miss his presence, Elijah had to stop and be still and listen and wait. None of those things super easy for us to do. But it really can serve us well at times, I think, to just cut out the noise, cut out the chaos. We don't want to miss how he may be present in the ways that we're actually needing. We might not even know we need him to speak to us that way. He does. Most of us can't go to a uh, catered mountain retreat for 40 days, but we can find moments to pause. We can. Be quiet and listen. If he shows up for a whisper, I don't want to miss it. 
when you're overwhelmed by the effects of sin in the world and the toll it has taken on you, attend to your physical needs. Check in. Name things to God honestly. And cultivate some intentional space to just be in His presence, even if it only comes as a whisper. Engage with Him. Verse 13. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're looking for me to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are to anoint Hazael as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel and Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Malaholah as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So Elijah, after encountering God, is asked again, what are you doing here? why the question repeated, why the answer repeated. This is where uh, he, uh, Jewish scholars provide some, they provide some really rich commentary here. This is like a really good literary device. This is like great literature where you're supposed to read it repeated and feel it's not as emphatic the second time because of what happened in between, if that makes sense. It's meant to ring less urgent the second time because Elijah just experienced the fullness of God's presence in the way he needed right beforehand. God just showed Elijah he's not alone. He's attended to him with care. And his presence in this sequence is supposed to restore some perspective. He's answering again, but it's a little less urgent this time. Having a restored perspective and the reality of God's presence with you, that is God answering our need. Sometimes, yes, God very obviously, He heals, He changes hearts, He restores relationships, He stops evil, He provides a way out, He changes circumstances. But sometimes... In a broken world where we're still dealing with the consequences of sin, God's answer in our need is Him reminding us, with you in it, I care about the concerns you have, and I even care how they're impacting you. God's answer may be just to restore our perspective and remind us, you're not alone in what you're having to push through. See and know where you are in your need. His assurance is an answer. And then lastly, we see God's spoken answer. Jewish scholar and rabbi Malbin says, 
each person anointed here is specifically in response to one of Elijah's complaints. So God hears him out and takes seriously his concerns and answers it. He affirms Elijah's concerns, saying, I'm actually going to handle each of these. And he involves him in it. And I need you to go anoint these people. How does he answer? Well, Elisha will be a prophet with him and after him in striving to bring the people back to covenant relationship with God. Haziel would punish those who broke down the altars, and Jehu would punish those who were responsible for killing all the prophets. I also love at the end here, I'm going to leave 7,000. Remember how you mentioned to me, Elijah, you had that, that gap? You're alone. You're the only one left. Make sure you're not. I'm actually going to leave 7,000. God affirms Elijah's concerns. Your concerns about what is wrong, they're valid. Being unwilling to accept and be okay with the way sin has affected the world, wanting it to be made right, that is a reflection of God's heart. It is in your spiritual DNA that you know things are not as God wants them to be. When you're grieving and disturbed about what's going wrong, that's you being like your heavenly parent. God affirms that because that part of you is Him. And God includes us in the work of righting the wrong. That work is hefty, and it can threaten to take us out. It almost took Elijah out here. But God strengthens him, and Elijah, this part, Elijah is not counted out to being a part of God's redemptive work because he has this moment and this time of fear and doubt overtaking him. He's not counted out by God because he hit a point where he was at the end of his rope. God is about the involvement of his children. And he is not hindered by our struggling and our wavering. He meets us in that. We need to remember we're his. We're deeply loved by him. Remembering that uh, we are his beloved. I was listening to a sermon uh, this morning preached by uh, one of my dear friends, Pastor Inez. Some of you might remember she preached for us virtually last spring. And she said, remember your belovedness and guard it because it's the first thing the enemy comes at when he's trying to take you out. Because in your belovedness, you find your identity and your belonging. Remember your belovedness. And remember that by listening for God, because he is constantly reminding us that we are that. Remember it so you don't get taken out. God's presence in his provision for Elijah physically, in his hearing and affirming his concerns, and his answering him, are all reminders of his belovedness. So take a beat, take a minute, and lean in to where God is for you there. I think we can take heart here. This is really encouraging for me. It's been a tough season, right? And it's been, uh, I think, extending more and more for some of us. 
But remember in that, that in your wrestling, in your struggle, in your concern, in your anxiety, that God, first of all, cares about you taking care of your body, tending to your real human needs, that he is there to meet us in the fullness and specificity of our emotions about what's going on. We don't have to pretend or put on with him. He wants honest relationship with you. And make some space to cut through that noise so you can fully engage with him. Make it slow and quiet enough at times so you don't miss where he may be present. For he knows what you need. He wants all of us in the fullness of where we are. And thanks be to God for that. We pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for your kindness and your faithfulness to your children, to us. That even though we are so undeserving, that you would still count us as such high value that you would extend your hand and your heart to us. So Father, I even specifically pray, pray for the ways that we're maybe missing that, where we need to lean in, that you would help clear our minds and our spirits, enable us to draw near to you in the ways we need here. I thank you, especially, Father, that even though we we may struggle and waver and question and pull away even at times, that your pursuit of us is greater, that your love for us is greater, that you understand our humanness better than we even do. So help us to uh, have rest and confidence in that. We thank you for coming after us again and again and again. We love you and in your name we pray. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.